Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 24. I'm your host, Dan Holzman. On this podcast, I'll be talking with Aaron Stevens, a wonderful, creative, fantastic juggler who's also very involved in the IJA festivals and the IGA regional competitions. We'll talk about her travels, her experiences soon, but first, we must thank our sponsors, starting with the International Jugglers Association. That's the IJA. Information about the IJA can be found at juggle.org. Look up all the information on this year's festival, which will be taking place in El Paso, Texas, with special guest, Emil Dahl. First man to flash nine clubs. Very, very impressive. Also, we have a new sponsor for this podcast, Renegade Juggling. That's right, all the way from Santa Cruz, California, The Renegades. I was there in Denver when they had the very first Renegade show, and they've always been known for their quality props, their innovation, and if you need anything special made, talk to Tom and Renegade, he'll get it done for you. So, for all your juggling props needs, go to renegadejuggling.com. Also, my private coaching website is braindrizzles.com. You want to be a professional? You want to add comedy to your show? Looking for advice on your career and on your life? Then give me a buzz at braindrizzles.com. Want to sponsor an upcoming podcast? Drop me a line at danjuggle at gmail.com. All right, enough commercials. Let's drop everything and get ready for Aaron Stevens. Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 24, the lovely and talented Aaron Stevens. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you, Dan. Now, this is my first interview of 2016. So how does Aaron Stevens celebrate New Year's Eve? What'd you do? What did I do this year? I got to hang out with a bunch of coworkers and we danced the night away. It was, it was delightful. Some juggling as well, lots of juggling. So you have a job outside of juggling. You have an actual, what we'd call real job. A real job, a day job as they call it. Yes, I do. <laughs> what, what is that? Give us a little insight into your day job. Yeah, I've been doing it for about a year and I actually got the job thanks to my work with the International Jugglers Association with the social media aspect. And so I'm a social media manager for a company and we work with clients all over the country managing uh, Facebook and, and Instagram and different social media outlets. You, and you also do the social media for the IGA currently or was that something you did in the past? Yeah, I do. I'm the marketing director for the IGA currently so I do a lot of the social media work as well. Did you think that you want to have a combination of a real job and performing or do you want to become a full-time performer? What is sort of the goal with your performing career? Currently my performing career as far as making that my living is a bit on hold. I was doing that for two years with Mountain Motion the past two years before I got this job. And I kind of decided to go in a different direction because I'm really loving the organizational work that I'm doing within the IJA and also just uh, wanting, yeah, the social media. I really found out that I loved it and I, I apparently am somewhat good at it. And so, so getting this job was kind of a lucky, lucky game. So as far as professional career-wise, that's not my focus right now, performing, but I still do it a lot at festivals and different events that I travel to and such, and I'm still creating lots of great routines and actually working uh, with some great choreographers right now. Yuri Podsnikov is actually helping me with choreography right now for new routines. Wow, that's big time. I recently saw a video of his on, on YouTube. I think it was called Drugs with like three three jugglers. Oh man. Kind of an urban setting. I thought it was fantastic. It's fantastic. And everything that group's creating right now is really, really fabulous. Do you know some other jugglers he's worked with? Because I know he's worked with quite a few well-known jugglers. Yeah, definitely. There's the Alexandras, Alexandra Sobina and Soboliva, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Svetlana Zueva is one. Alexander Koblikov. The Sailor. The Sailor, yes. I think he's in Big Apple Circus right now in New York. He sure is. Another fantastic act. He came to an IJ a few years ago. Love to have him again. Fantastic yeah, he might actually, He might actually be an option, too. for this Oh, time. for this year in El Paso, you think? Yes, we'll see. We'll see, but we're discussing it, so that would and be great. We'll talk a bit more about El Paso coming up, because you're really involved in the upcoming festival this year. And yes. So maybe you can give us a little bit of a preview in a little bit later in the, in the podcast. Now, you mentioned Mountain Mischief. Mountain, most Mountain Motion. Motion. Mountain Mischief was another act of Kevin's, is that correct? Yeah, Kevin was with Mountain Mischief with his wife, Brandy, and then we shifted it to Mountain Motion when I and Jeremiah Johnston came so on. That was board. a trio. Mm -hmm. And what kind of, uh, so that was the last couple of years you sort of worked with them? Yeah. And what kind of jobs did you guys do? We did a lot of 
variety. We had, you know, the fair scene, the fair network with, with rent fairs and different events and music festivals and things like that. A big focus of ours was, was the glow and fire show. That's something Kevin and Jeremiah have been very into for a long time. And so we had a good network there. And then we did some theater shows and we were really getting into the full length theater show production uh, when we decided to kind of go our separate ways. And then we got to compete in the IJA and... And you guys got bronze, as I remember. Is that right? Bronze? Yeah. Nice, nice. Got to stand on the podium as it was. and Stand on the podium. Get a medal. I've got a medal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then you've also competed in WJF. So you enjoy competing as well as performing? Yes. Yeah. I like the competitive side of things. For me, it's always been a great challenge to step it to that next level. Whenever I'm competing, I always have, feel like I need to bring it to that next level. So it challenges me to, to kind of up my game every time. And do you come from like a competitive background? Did you play sports when you were younger? I Anything sure like did. That? You did? <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of sports as a kid. And uh, yeah, I did basketball, volleyball, shot put and track and softball, I guess. Yeah. And you grew up here in California, but kind of in a more remote area, kind of uh, up in the foothills. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Where, where did you grow up and what was sort of the early life of, of Aaron Stevens, like family and stuff like that? Yeah, I grew up in, it's this little town called Murphy's, California. It's up in the Sierra Nevada mountains close to Yosemite or, or Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a quiet little podunk town, as I like to say, and I'm actually living here again uh, after many years of being away. But it's, it's a great com community, lots of fun. Uh, the neat thing was learning to juggle here. I learned at age 11 and was able to have this cool small community where they really supported me as a performer growing up. And my family got me going to festivals and things at a pretty young age, at age 14 at the Lodi Festival, which I think I actually saw you possibly my very first year. Yeah, I remember you from the Lodi Festival. That was a great festival. It was at a little park, yeah. Mickey so Grove Park. Fun. Yeah. Mickey yeah. Grove Park. The camping and, and the show and everything within walking distance. It was such a fun festival. Yeah, we had some fun experiences there because it was really pretty early in the whole juggling scene. Yes. And unfortunately, yes. it's not been going on. I think they canceled it, gosh, 15 years ago, dozen years ago. Like a, yeah, maybe a dozen or so. I was in college some, at some point when they canceled it. And so you learned to juggle. Was this something uh, at a school program or how did you do this first experience? And, and did you experience juggling before then? Did you seen juggling and been excited to learn? Yeah, I'd seen juggling a lot at, at Renaissance fairs and different events around my town. Uh, Scotty and Ka Katrina, actually, who are San Francisco jugglers. That yeah, they perform at that Fire at the Mountain Festival. Yeah, there's a Christmas event up here, and it was actually Mitch and K Katrina, I believe, back back in the day. And uh, yeah, I would see them every every year as a kid growing up. And so she was kind of my female role model, if you if you were a juggler. And so when I got the chance to learn, it was it was exciting, and I just latched onto it super fast. Now, <laughs> Katrina is a comedy juggler. Were you more interested in the technical side or the performing side? I've always loved the technical side. I, I love the performing side, but not in the comedy arena. That's, that's something I've explored a little bit with Mountain Motion and everything, but it's definitely not what I focus on. You prefer the movement-oriented type yes. of routines? Yeah. And I know you also like to really, the, the over-the-head juggling. Is that something that sort of uh, intrigued you aesthetically or just the way you felt or why, why that sort of, not a specialty, but why did that sort of pique your interest? I actually think it has to do with my volleyball background. I was, I played setter, the setting position for mm -hmm. many years. And if you look at what setters do, it's the exact same movement as overheads. And so I think I started learning overheads in college and just immediately people would be like, wow, you do that so easily. And it just felt like a really easy trick for me. And I realized it was because I'd already developed those muscles. And, and then at some point I made it my goal to learn every trick that I could do down below, do it above my head. Cause why not? Right. <laughs> you learned pretty early. So this was like 11 years old that you learned. How long before it kind of took over and became like your thing? And do you call your, do you think of yourself like Aaron Stevens juggler? Uh, well, that's what I'm referred to everywhere I go. So <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It was probably not until my twenties that I really, it really took over kind of where that was my thing that I did. And I actually had just uh, took it, took a year from college and moved home and was actually going to pursue a music career. Well, what kind of, what kind of music? Cause I think there's a lot of parallels between yeah, being a musician and being a juggler. What what definitely. instrument did you was your specialty? I've played a lot of instruments, but piano I grew up playing, and then and then I learned guitar and songwriting and stuff in college as well. But yeah, the, there's definitely the parallels, and that's something I've always looked at is what's similar in all jugglers 
as far as the things that they do or are good at, not necessarily all, all jugglers, but what trends exist. And I think music is one of them and, and mathematics tends to be one of them and computers as well. So yeah, I think there's a lot of similarity there. We look at the coordination between the hands, like both hands have to be equally proficient. Yes. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of hand-eye coordination. Definitely. And also the cross, the cross brain, the left and the right sides of the brain being used. And so that the midline, if you were uh, the, that they say juggling increases the gray matter in the middle of the brain now. That is the case with, with music, I believe, too. Yeah, so you do music and juggling, so your brain must be huge. That's it. I got a, I've got a really big brain. I've got a fairly large-sized head, so it works out. And you use that big brain to go to college? Did you? Because I've said on a, a previous podcast that I regret not going. Was that something you experienced, the, the college years? Yeah, I went to college. I did, and that was quite quite a good time. What did you study? Did you have a, Did you have a major? I did. So that's something that's interesting. Is I ended up choosing a major. It's called community studies. I went to UC Santa Cruz actually, and they had this community studies major, which no longer exists. But the cool thing about that major was you were able to choose a focus that you were actually very interested in. And so mine was circus arts for social change, which is very much a Santa Cruz major, mind you. <laughs> circus arts for social change. Yeah. And community studies in general focused on community activism, community organizing, things like that. And so... I got to do internships working at circus schools and got to do, uh, I think my senior thesis was actually on how to utilize these concepts of social and community activism to within the circus community, which is cool because essentially that's what I've been doing with the IJA and it's largely because of that focus within college. And I'm one of the few friends I know that is actually using their major. <laughs> and what circus schools? Are there circus schools in California or did you travel Oh, the circus school I did the internship at was at the San Francisco Circus Center. Oh, yes. The one that, yeah, the circus conservatory or the, I always think of it as the clown conservatory. It's also a, a full range circus school as well. Indeed. They have the clown program and then they have all the circus programs as well. And then Acro Sports is next door and that's another circus program. Yeah, that's a, a couple buildings down. It's a mm -hmm. really large facility. And was there any kind of juggling scene when you grew up there in that small town? Were you... Do you have anybody to practice with or any influences that early? I met some people at the Lodi Juggling Festival who were at the neighboring high school from me, and we would get together probably once a month and, and juggle. That's how I learned how to pass clubs and learn four balls and five balls and such. Yeah, I had some, some definite influences. Now, I, I know at the Lodi Festival you had a, a pretty bad experience, and I don't want to bring up a bad memory, but I think I was actually even there that year. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember I'd hearing something about they had some incident, but I wasn't there to witness it or, or there when it happened. Right. But my understanding was that you were doing like a two-man high uh -huh. and somehow that you lost your, your footing or your balance and ended up falling from the two-man high and had a pretty serious back injury. Correct. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, so I was standing on, on a fellow's shoulders. It was, my, it was my first time trying it and I lost my balance and fell backwards and fractured four vertebrae and squished three discs in my neck and was fairly unable to juggle for uh, about three or four years, I guess, because of that injury. So if someone wanted to do a two-man high, <laughs> what do you think the, the biggest problem was there? Was, was there not enough support? What, what sort of tips can you give? He had never been a flyer. It was a, a large fellow, a very large fellow. He had never been a person standing on top. The bottom, sort of the bottom. He, yes, he's very much a bottom. So he didn't know how to specifically coach, I guess, how for me to stand. He said, oh, the girl I do it with just jumps up there and stands there. <laughs> so I think having, number one, having spotters, number two, having mats, not doing out, outside with a tree with roots and such is, is a good idea. Um, and then, yeah, having a coach, as you would with any type of acrobatic. Now, that set you back. Did you ever think during that time to let the juggling drop? Or was your passion strong enough where you're like, okay, even though I can't do it now, I'm going to overcome this. And when I can, I'm getting back to juggling. Yeah, I mean, I went through various phases, of course. And, and I think it, it, that injury ended up being the thing that catapulted me into, for example, training for the WJF or, or really deciding that I was going to do juggling as my thing. There was always the passion that was very strong, but the physicalities just couldn't do it. And so, yeah, it ended up being kind of like a vault, I guess, into that next stage. So but through the physical rehab and getting back into exercise, that helped you actually in the long run to sort of become a better juggler. Yeah, not so much the physical side, more the mental of like, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm going to do this. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. It's like you have something kind of stop you, and sometimes there's something that... It gives you that extra motivation, like I'm going to climb over this mountain anyways, and this is not going to stop me. Yeah. If I have to work twice as hard, 
Yeah. And it's something where I, I have, I have that physical pain that just kind of stays with me and it's just something I get to manage with. It's always more of a motivational factor at this point. So there's still some pain issues that you deal with? Because mm-hmm. I've had back issues and they're not, they're not, I mean, obviously not as serious as yours. I've never broken my back, but I've had a couple of times where I was immobilized and had to have like bed rest for a few days and yeah. my back had gone out. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 That gone out thing. That's not fun. <laughs> Especially for a juggler. And I think it's important to the physical fitness aspect is something that really isn't discussed as much in the importance of improving your juggling. Right. Like sometimes I see a juggler who's struggling and I don't want to go up to them and say, well, maybe if you lost 50 pounds, the pirouette would be easier. Yes, that's true. That's true. The the weight factor and also just full support. I think that's a big thing that gets overlooked in juggling is people don't think of it as a sport and granted it's an art in many ways, but you have to have the physical support for any type of physical thing you're doing. And for example, for overheads or for, you know, now I'm doing a lot of leg work and a lot of kicks and things. So I'm really building my knee muscles to support those joints and I'm building my hip muscles to support the more kind of yoga because that, that muscle is going to be needed in order to prevent injury, in order to increase flexibility. Yeah, to make your juggling stronger as a whole. And cardiovascular, I think, is a big thing that's overlooked in juggling as well. Um, you know, doing daily cardiovascular so you're able to do long routines and able to perform or train for four hours, whatever that is. And what is your form of cardiovascular? Are you a cyclist, a runner? A... Lately, I've been into Zumba. Ah, Zumba. <laughs> I've been dancing a lot, which is great because I've been training as well a lot in Latin America where I've been learning things like salsa, dancing, and so it's fun to come home and have kind of this Latin dance flavor. That's just sort of the Latin dance aerobics. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. I just did it tonight. It was great. <laughs> Zumba. Zumba, yeah. That's, yeah, Ivan Pacell, when he was on the podcast, who obviously, if you look at him, has done some exercise in his life. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. He also stresses the need for, for cardio as being one of the more important things even then sort of the muscular strength. Right. Because I've experienced that as well. If you're doing a show and you're, you're, you're running around and you lose your breath, it's like, oh, all right, let me recoup here. Right, definitely. Yeah, and I've, I've, I had put a, I was fairly heavy in my former days, and so it has been interesting to see how, I think it was uh, Mark Fay actually many years ago, I was performing in Austin, Texas at the Austin Juggle Fest, and I was just so winded after my six-minute routine or whatever, and he was like, cardiovascular training, Aaron, that's what you've got to do, and ever since, that's been a huge focus. There's many jugglers I meet who, who say they run every day. I like to yeah, fire drums. I think it was Wes Peden was there and he's like, oh, I'm going for my morning run. Hmm. <laughs> and that was kind of what, what I did for a long time too was morning runs. That's just what Yeah, do. when I think of Mark Fay, I don't really think of cardiovascular exercises. <laughs> Not that he's in bad shape, but I think more of scorpions or throwing <laughs> knives or lawnmowers or... Correct, correct. But I mean, just think how much cardio you have to do in order to be able to throw a lawnmower. Well, I think the best jugglers understand that it is a physical activity. It is not necessarily a sport, even though there are sporting aspects to it. But if you're a Victor Key or Paul Ponce or Anthony Gatto did a lot of training, oh, yeah. you put up seven clubs. Oh, yeah. Some muscular strength would not hurt and some endurance. Would muscular not. strength and cardio. And I think, and I've actually been doing a lot of weight training recently too. And within a couple of weeks, I noticed a huge improvement in my juggling. And I think just, like I said, having that muscular structure, essentially jugglers want to be the best that they can be. And so if that means your, your physical body is not the best that it can be, then it's going to be hard to reach that in your juggling life as well. There's an interesting fellow I've been watching recently. His name is Ida, Ido Portal, hmm. I-D-O-P-O-R-T-A-L. And he's a movement teacher. He teaches movement. Oh, neat. He, and he talks about this idea that if you look at a bodybuilder, it can be aesthetically pleasing but it could be limiting in the movement. So he's all about functionality. So I think that idea for jugglers, as opposed to sort of like building mass, to think more of the functionality of the movement. Right. So check out Ido Portal. Yeah, I'll check him out for sure. I actually already typed it into Facebook. <laughs> yeah, he works with lots of uh, fighters. I'm quite big on the, okay. the UFC fighting, the cage fighting. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. I don't know if that's something you're interested in. But... I, haven't, I haven't much seen that one, but that sounds quite interesting. Yeah, a big fan of Conor McGregor. He's the, the new star of that sport. And I, was, I had yeah. a coaching a guy today, and I said, if you want to learn about charisma, look up Conor McGregor because he's got charisma. Oh, wow. And if you want to succeed in show business, I don't think charisma is a bad thing to have. Charisma is great. Charisma is a great thing to have. It's true. And that's something I love doing too, is just looking at other art, fo- art forms, sports, whatever it is that you're looking at, to look at other qualities of performers, if you were, I mean, fighting's not necessarily a performance, but 
in a way it is, you've got to have your fan base and that's often comes from the performance aspects, I think, of fighters. But yeah, I think it's important to look at those other art forms and see how they can apply, for example, for me, for juggling, for like Zumba or Latin dance or hip hop right now, I'm really into hip hop dancing and things like that. So finding those other aspects that you can then add to your performance, be it charisma, be it dancing, whatever, is, is super fun. And who are some performers who inspire you outside of juggling? We'll get to some juggling influences as well, but who are some people you watch or listen to, you admire as performers? Yeah, I don't know that I have any specific names off the top of my head. I've been watching just lots of lots of hip hop and Latin dancing as a whole. Mm-hmm. I don't really follow anyone specific. Gotcha. And same with musicians, I'd say like I, I'm really into hip hop and things like that and also Latin music, but I love watching music videos and just seeing, seeing the different attitudes and personalities and stuff that people bring and it gives character ideas and routine ideas and also video ideas. I also really like making juggling videos and so it's a cool way to, to add some flair to those videos is looking at music videos and what are they doing. Or skateboarding videos has been my most recent thing as well. Oh, you like skateboarding videos. Have you seen Rodney Mullen? No. But again, I don't know names. I just randomly look up people. That's Rodney, R-O-D-N-E-Y, Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N. Nice. He was one of the first freestyle skateboard gurus. And if you want to see a guy juggling with a skateboard, nice. Rodney Mullen. All right. Yeah, if you look at all the fields like like Frisbee, foot bag, all these related activities, you yeah. can pick up quite a bit. Yeah, and foot bagging, I've, I've recently been getting really into foot stalls and also just kickups and things. That's kind of my newest style as of late. And so, yeah, looking at foot baggers or, you know, like Peter Irish, for example, uh, is a big inspiration for me. And right now it's, it's a big thing, like all the videos on Instagram and Facebook. There's lots and lots coming out right now with, with foot stalls. Uh, Alexander Koblikov also is, is really great with his foot stalls. But, yeah, looking at the foot bagging community is just more inspirational. Yeah, Peter Irish, the executioner. That was his nickname, the executioner. Okay, I never heard that. <laughs> I like the fact that the footbag players have nicknames. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They called him that because he always had great execution. Oh, man. Yeah, nine-time world freestyle champion, Pete. So good, so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. Hopefully, we'll get him on a, a future episode. He's a good friend of mine, so that would be oh, good. Uh, yeah, we've been like, he's been kind of supporting me through Facebook, through my foot videos lately and people are tagging him being like oh look at this peter and so it's kind of been cool to to have his support on that side because i'm like you know i'm feeling very elementary in comparison to him but it's progress and he's seeing the progress and supporting it a lot so that's exciting well he's probably one of the few people who can juggle three balls with their hand at the same time they do three balls with their feet yeah i love it yeah and he's out there performing and doing his thing and uh he's been to a few iga festivals what was your first iga festival my first IJA festival was 2003 in Reno, Nevada. Mm. Were you there? Yes, I was. Yeah, that was. That's where they had that really, really good public show, as I remember. It was incredible. Talk about a year to like decide that the IJA was awesome, because it was Anthony Gatto, Victor Key, Francois Rocher, Paul Ponce, were like the four that really stuck out. As and then I think it was uh, Team Rootberry won the gold that year, and Bill Berry won the gold for individuals. I, you know, I just remember a lot from that year and. Yeah, I believe Mark McGuire was in charge that year, and he was the booker for Circus Circus. Okay. So he had quite a few connections and to bring uh, some big guns. And, and crazy Chinese contortion yeah. hand balancers and things that you just, yeah, you're not necessarily going to see every year at the IJ. It was just a phenomenal year. I think Chris Crema was there doing, is that the year he did the special workshop? No, I think that was Sparks. So oh, that- yeah, because I took that when he led the workshop. Right. And I was surprised how few people took it. I'm like, it's Chris Cremo, for goodness sakes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and he's my favorite. If I had to pick one favorite juggler who is my guy, I'd say Chris Cremo. Do you have like one sort of idol? Because he also was very important because I saw him. He was the first juggler I ever saw when I was like 14 on TV, the first like professional. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought, oh, I didn't know juggling was like that. That it could do that. Yeah. That it could be that. I'd say for me, that person was Kati Lahakala from the Gandinis. I saw, I saw the Gandinis probably right when I was first getting over my back injury and really getting excited about juggling again. And I think that's why when you say that I'm more of a music-based movement type juggler, it was largely because of a workshop I took with her and seeing the Gandinis perform this mind-blowing act. It was at Demento, actually, in Davis. Yeah, she taught a movement workshop that just totally changed, changed my world and changed my reality. And again, you know, having that female presence of somebody who was very, very good technically and also embraced this femininity that was just beautiful. That was always very inspiring to me. 
Now, it's sad to say that this is the 24th podcast. You're only the second woman I've had on. <laughs> well, and that's not by choice. It's not like, oh, I'm going to discriminate against women. It's just obviously it's a pretty male-dominated field. Yeah. Yeah, in general. Do you think it's because we're more used to the, the throwing and catching type of boys play with the ball and the girls with the back in when I was growing up that sort of seemed like it really wasn't an activity that attracted women right I've actually in college I did a lot of studies and took feminist classes women's studies classes and things like that and I actually did a lot of papers on the female dynamic in the juggling world hmm. and so it's something that I've spent a lot of time just looking into and partially I think because when I grew up I was 11 and it was just the thing that everybody would comment on and the thing that everyone would note is oh you're a female and you're a juggler and that's not common and so it was made very clear to me at an early young age that it wasn't a common thing and then I think it was when I started learning things like five clubs or, or five balls even five balls and four clubs that I was like oh I never had a female that I saw doing those things things and thus I never really thought of it as a possibility for for me because I never saw a female doing that and so that kind of is what led to that research that I did for me I think it's a cultural structure I think like you said be it the throwing and catching things which sports were much more male dominated for many years in past generations and that's shifting rapidly now but also you look at the style of juggling that exists in the U.S. and the comedy based juggling it, it, girls weren't encouraged to be to be foolish or mm -hmm. to look foolish or to act foolish in public. And so considering that that was kind of the norm of the performer, why would a, why would a female be inclined to go in that direction? And so I think looking at, I, I did a lot of cultural things too, looking at cultures that do have a lot of females, like the Tongan jugglers, do you know? I've been to Tonga. We actually went there on a ship hoping to see a lot of female <laughs> jugglers doing the shower and singing the song they sing. Right, right. Yeah, and I know, like, Connie Lieberton, I don't know if you've been paying attention. I know Connie, sure. She made a video. She's the one who made the Women in Juggling video. She made the Women in Juggling video, and she recently has been doing these trips to Tonga to go learn more about the culture of, of what, what happens there and what the scene is and everything. And, yeah, it sounds like it's not a thing where you just show up and you see all these girls juggling everywhere. <laughs> it's just something the older women do. Like, it seems to have lost favor. But if you see some older women, they're like, they can still do a four ball shower or something like that. Yeah, and I think, I think it's still, the young girls still learn it, but it's just not something where they do it out in public all the time. It's just more a thing that they do in school. And a lot of the older women would say, oh yeah, it's a thing that we played in school and we'd sing our song, kind of like jump roping. And that's what I, that's how I attributed it was you look at the fact that 50% of the population there juggled at least at one point, or most girls learned how to juggle. And in these shower patterns with four or five, and there's like legends of seven and 10 nuts or limes being juggled. And so, so why, was, why did that exist? It was a cultural thing where the boys saw it as a little girl game because it was like kind of jump rope in our culture where all the girls do it, but not many boys. And so all the girls did it. And, and that was just what was expected. And they learned and they yeah. learned well. <laughs> I think the story was, this might be sexist, that, but the longer you could juggle, the better your chance of getting a husband or, or getting a man. <laughs> something I'd heard. And we were actually there when one of the women sang the... Traditional song? Tongan song. Yeah, which apparently they've forgotten, or like it's an ancient language that nobody even knows the words to any longer. But Tonga itself, as a place to visit, I, I can't give it a thumbs up. <laughs> it's funny, when we left Tonga, we were at the airport and they, there was this siren that went off. And we're like, what's that siren about? They said, well, it's to get the animals off the runway. Okay. Let's make sure there's no animals on the runway. I thought, wow. let's get out of Tonga as quick as let's we can. Let's get out of Tonga. Let's go. There's not as many jugglers as I thought, and there's animals on the runway. It's, it's time let's to go. Let's get out. It's time to go. Now, how do you think it's evolved? Because it does seem that with maybe the influx of more of the flow community, there is definitely a higher feminine presence at conventions and in the sort of movement world in general. Right. I actually think the flow community possibly. I also think like, I think back to when I started making juggling videos, for example, there was me and, and Kate Flaherty and mm -hmm. also Olga, Olga Galchenko and then Olga Caraviva. We're kind of the first like four girls that really started making juggling videos. And I think what shifted, you know, it kind of became my, my goal. Like I told you, I never saw a girl juggling four clubs or I never saw a girl doing these tricks. And so I was like, well, how, that was kind of one of my motivations for training for the WJF or for competing in any competition or for making videos was like, okay, well, what if I train and work really hard? So I am doing seven balls or I am doing these 
higher that I haven't seen girls do? And what if I become that person that then other girls will see it and think it's possible for them too? And I think that's what we've got now is because of the internet, you see all these incredible females around the world, like Svetlana Zueva's video that went freaking viral a couple months ago. Is she the, the hula hooper? The... No, no, Svetlana Zueva, she had the club, club video that just came out. Uh, like in a garage? Was that the one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And she's kind of like doing one move where she does like a back cross. But then the club like rolls across her chest. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, she got some skills. And she was actually, she was an uh, invited guest at the IJ last year. And so I, we were actually judges together for the IJ competition last year. And we became really close. And then we were actually in, um, in Colombia together two months ago for a convention down in Southern South America. So we got to bond a lot this last year. It was very fun. But she's amazing, you know. And again, Katila Hakala has been an inspiration. And the Gandinis in general have just been so balanced with male to female ratios and and uh, people, and like the, the women of juggling video. And I think just the more it's out there that it exists, number one, you know, girls can do whatever and, and they can do it however they want. I've chosen one of my goals too. I always saw these girls performing when I was younger. I would see girls, they were either dressed like a man and acting like a man on stage, or they were in very skimpy outfits, not very good jugglers, kind of more showing off their bodies. And so I kind of chose this more middle ground of, I want to be a technically strong female juggler, but I also want a strong feminine feminine presence on stage. And so that was always kind of my routines and my influence. But I think it's just becoming more normal. But it's interesting to see festivals now, the you know five ball endurances have lots more females. Uh, the IJ was super balanced this last year as far as male to female ratios. But I think it's different country to country and event to event. Now, when you competed in the WJF, was this something you do regularly? Was it a one-time thing? Or was that just sort of a special thing you wanted to try to accomplish? And once you did it, you decided, well, okay, that was, that's what I did, or have you done it many times? Um, I, I trained, I started training, I think in uh, 2004 or five, knew that it was happening. I think the first one had happened. And that's right when I, I actually went to the chiropractor three days a week for a year in order to improve my back situation. And in that process, I was like, I'm going to train to compete in the WJF. And that just kind of became a goal to overcome that injury and be like, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to go all out now. <laughs> and so I started training two to four hours a day and I went to my first WJF in 2005, and then I think competed 2006 and 2007. And so, yeah, it was kind of a thing to challenge myself, and it very drastically improved my technical skill level during that time because I did have that goal, which was great. What I found by the second competition is, is I was just, I started getting a bit bored, I guess, okay. <laughs> with my training because it was so, you keep your feet in the same place, you don't move, this and that. And I ended up uh, shortly thereafter getting a fairly severe shoulder injury as well from too many overheads, actually. <laughs> so I had to take another break from juggling during that time. And, and when I came back at it again, I was like way more focused on the artistic side and just had no, no interest in competing further in that capacity. But it was great. And I think there's been many benefits that have come out of the IJF. You look at the seven club jugglers that exist and you look at the technical skill level that just kind of skyrocketed during that time. And I think there was lots of benefits that came out for me and also for other jugglers. Have you been to it since it's become more of this, this skill con, the, the sort of multi-events type of festival? Nope. Yeah, they're kind of interesting more than what I'd gone to the first two WJFs. Yeah, I think this interests me more to have sort of a bringing more other things outside of juggling. Because hmm. I like the I like the competitive version of it. I competed quite a bit in the IJ mm -hmm. back in the early days. Yeah, I've seen videos of such things. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, I've actually got thirteen IGA stage medals. Oh, so cool. So a lot of third places. <laughs> a lot of third places. <laughs> a couple of golds with Barry, but a lot of third places as a individualist. <laughs> Let's give Dan a bone here. Let's give him a third there. <laughs> He's not bad. He didn't drop very much. At least you got that medal, right? It feels better. Yeah, than yeah. But you know, the thing about the competitions always is, and this is something I tried to change when I worked on the judging criteria a while back, was it just depended who showed up. Mm -hmm. Like some years, getting third was no big deal. Mm -hmm. But then if Gatto shows up or somebody... So I always felt they needed a judging system that had gave you a score that could be compared year to year. Mm. So let's say Gatto wins with an 800... And Andy Hedge, for example, who won a couple of times, great juggler, but he wins with a 450. Mm -hmm. so the way you would have in the Olympics or any other sports, you can compare year to year. Now, they, this way, they both have the gold medal. They're both equal. But we know that in some cases, one juggler is really much better than the other. Right. If, if it came down to them competing against each other with those same routines. <laughs> well, just this idea of like in, in the Olympics, if one guy, like when Greg Louganis was a diver, if he scored 6,000 points and then the next year uh, the diver scored 5,500, mm -hmm. we know that Greg Luganis was one of the greatest divers in history. 
Right. So to overcome his score, not only did you win, but to be able to overcome the score of this great diver would be another kudo, another accomplishment you could you could get. But here we have, like I say, and sometimes in the IJ, it seems like I got 13 gold medals <laughs> because they got juggling medals, number medals. I've seen people's promotional material, winner of 12 gold medals. And you go, well, does that really mean that their juggling is that great? Is mm-hmm. that... So sometimes I think it kind of has lost a bit of its meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're involved with the competitions currently. I'm involved with a program within the competitions. Yeah, not the championships itself. I see. You're, you're involved with the regional competitions. The IJA regional competitions, yes. And when did those start? That's a pretty recent thing. Yeah, this program started in 2011. And it was Tom Wall and myself who really were the pushers to make this program happen. And the first one was in Mexico in 2011. Yeah, it kind of came out of a, a place of a lot of Number one, a lot of people saying the IJ was not a very international organization, which has been something that had been said for a long time. And then also the realization that we're very close to the Mexican border, but I was at a IJ, there was the one in Sparks, actually, that's when I became an IJ board member. I walked around asking people if they knew any jugglers in Mexico, and nobody knew any jugglers in Mexico. And so it kind of became this thing of, oh, well, well, there are a lot, and I didn't even know until I went there. <laughs> but how can the IJ and just start, number one, getting to know these other juggling cultures that exist that hadn't really been a part of the IJAs per se? but also start exposing to the rest of the world because it is the IJ, it is an organization that is well-known and has had a good reputation and a long history. Start exposing these other parts of the juggling world that aren't as well-known. And that's kind of where the competitions came from. And were they aware of the IJ? Were they excited to take part and have these regional competitions? You know, in the beginning in Mexico, the first year, it was kind of a, I think there might have been a little hesitancy of people just not really knowing. Everyone's heard of the IJ in, throughout Latin America uh, is something I've learned. And not only heard about it, but really respects it and really has always wanted to be a part of the IJA. And so it was, it was funny when I started contacting people like in Chile or in Costa Rica, people would write me back being like, this, you just made my entire year. I can't believe you've asked me to host this event. This is the best news I ever could have gotten ever. And it was just like so much gratitude and so much excitement that the IJA, which was this organization that they'd seen videos, they'd heard about Anthony Gatto winning at age whatever, you know, eight, right. <laughs> um, heard all these stories for years and years about the IJA. And so for them to think about it coming to their region or coming to their country, it was a huge honor for them. And that was really exciting to just see that passion that exists for the IJA as an organization throughout Latin America. And how is that growing? Do we have more competitions coming up? Are there more planned? Oh, yeah. So that was the first one, 2011. And it was a great competition. I was blown away with the circus scene in in Mexico. In Latin America, it's more circus conventions rather than juggling conventions. So you have your clowning and your aerial and your acrobatics all happening in the same place as the juggling event, which is really quite fun. But I was just blown away with the culture, with the friendliness, with the people, the skill level of the juggling. And now we've done four in Mexico. And there has been one in Costa Rica. This last year was the first Central American IRC. And then we did one in Chile, Brazil, and Peru. And so there have been eight total. I'm not really aware of it. Is How would you promote that? And how come I haven't really been more aware that there have been eight regional festivals? Am I just sort of in the dark here? Possibly. I think if you look at the IJ's Facebook page, there's lots of promotion happening there. Okay. And less so in like the newsletter and website and such like that, but more in the social media realm. And so it's becoming quite well known. The first couple of years, nobody knew about it. I'd show up back at the IJ Festival and they're like, oh, you went to Mexico? And I'm like, yeah, there was an IJ competition and, and just nobody knew. And then because the social media really for the IJ has become kind of the main way that the IJ's outreach is happening and connection and community activism and things like that. The IJ's Facebook page is at 22,000 likes now and such. And it's from all over the world. You look at the metrics and it's actually more highly dominated by followers and interactions from Latin America now, but also many from around the world. So anyhow, that's kind of been the main source for promoting. And we talked a little bit about your recent adventure, and you had kind of a, a setback, or you were there much longer than you thought you would be. What was the story about this recent one in, in Peru? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I went to Peru, and I show up, and there were everyone's like, oh, she's here. They take pictures, and this is happening. And then two days in, the Ministry of Peru decided to tell the convention that they wouldn't be able to have their convention because there was a international banking convention happening that same weekend. Those are much more fun. Oh, far more fun. Far more fun. (laughs) Yeah. I actually met a reporter later from Germany who was a reporter for that event. And she goes, oh my God, I wish I was reporting on a circus convention. That would have been so much more interesting. (laughs) So yeah. 
So how long did you actually spend and when did they actually have the convention? Yeah, they ended up asking if I could stay longer and, and luckily because of my social media job that I have now, and very supportive boyfriend, uh, I was able to stay for the full two months. It was, two months? It was six weeks after, so yeah, I was supposed to be there two weeks and I stayed two months. Well, that's, quite a, that's quite a switch. What, what was the trip supposed to be originally? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two it became, weeks. It became six weeks or even longer. What was the total length? Two months total. So it went from two weeks to two months. Yeah, eight weeks. It ended up being one of the best eight weeks of my life. It was really quite phenomenal. And number one, for anyone who doesn't know much about, number one, Latin America as a whole, it's funny because I just got so much different types of feedback from other jugglers like at the IJ and other festivals. People would be like, oh, you're going to die. You're going to be beheaded when you go to Mexico and this and that. Really, all of these countries south of us are amazingly welcoming, amazingly friendly. I've never had a, a threat of my life or any type of feeling of being unsafe. But I stay with locals. I stay with the jugglers as I go. And I, you, you don't go to inner city Oakland, for example, just like you're not going to go to a sketchy neighborhood in Peru. What's like going to Japan? People are like, oh, Japan's so expensive and coffee's $8. Well, not everywhere and depends where you go. And If you want to act like a tourist and go to yeah. all the tourist places, it's going to be expensive. And that's the case with Peru, too. You can go to the tourist district in Lima and it's, everything's ridiculously expensive. The rest is quite, quite cheap and quite nice. And I saw a video of you performing during the streetlights that stop. That's sort of a thing they <laughs> do out there. Are the streetlights yeah. really, really long? Is that what it is? It's not that they're so long, it's just this is part of the culture that exists down there is at, at all the stoplights, it's not just jugglers, but there's also people out there selling popcorn, there's people selling rosaries, there's people, I almost bought a head massager one day <laughs> because I saw it and I was like, I love those head massagers and it was like outside my window and I, if I had the money I would have bought, bought it. So it's kind of this culture where things happen at the stoplights all the time and that's in every Latin American country that I've been to, it's Costa Rica, that's the case, Mexico, that's the case, everywhere in South America. But so what it's become now is jugglers make very good, not a very good living, but a, a decent living performing at these stoplights. They just get out there for 30 seconds and perform these tight, incredible routines. If you look at some of the ones that have come out on Facebook. They're, they're great. The guy with the slack rope. Oh, yeah. And that's from Colombia, from Medellin, Colombia. He was better than he had to be, that guy. But that's the case with like so many of these jugglers, too. They're just highly impressive. And it was funny getting certain comments, too, from people on videos I was posting. Like, I met this random guy in a park, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a juggler. I had seen clubs sticking out of his bags or something. It was, like, my second day in Peru. And then he starts juggling a little bit. Suddenly, he's doing six-ball crazy sight swaps with six balls that were just mind-blowing. I was like, can I get a video of this? And I, like, posted it, and a bunch of people were like, oh, that, that had to be staged. That couldn't have just been a random person that you met. That's, like, quality that could be in the IJA. And I was like, well, yeah, there's lots of that in Latin America. <laughs> and how big was the festival? What was the attendance? The attendance at this festival was probably around 250. This was the first year that they've done this convention. This was just purely jugglers, though. This was a circus thing. This was a circus festival, yeah. So there's clowning workshop. So how many jugglers in that? Was it like everybody could juggle, but how many like sort of specific jugglers? I don't know. I, I actually didn't pay attention to the numbers with this one. For example, in uh, Chile, their convention, which is now on its 16th annual, I believe our IJ competition there, was 2012 and they sold out at 1200 oh, attendees that's pretty good and chile actually each each country has a very different juggling scene chile is known for being the machines quote unquote where they just are sight swap monsters and numbers monsters and people who would have done very well in the wjf <laughs> that's funny because that's my nickname too the machine oh the machine really. is it? <laughs> i know that's what i think when i think of you of course of course yeah, Dan Holden, yeah sure. the machine yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like a, like a well-honed machine, never misses, never drops. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, whereas in Colombia, the scene is very different. So I, while I was in Peru, I got a random email saying, hey, you're in Peru, we're having our national convention, and since you're staying longer, want to perform at that. And so I got to perform at the Colombian convention as well and get to know that juggling scene. There, there are so many jugglers. This is one thing that's very cool about Latin America. Right now, juggling is the cool thing to do. It's like skateboarding or breakdancing or cheerleading in the United States where just everyone juggles and that's that's what they do in the parks and they hang out and juggle everywhere. Is there a professional scene as opposed to the, the stoplight stuff? Is there sort of more of a people working in cabarets and theaters out there? Yeah, there's a, a professional scene as well and I think perhaps not as many opportunities depending on the country you're in. And oh, that was the other thing I was going to touch on is a lot of people when I tell them I'm going to Peru, for example, or no, Mexico it was, I'd say I'm going to Mexico and people say, oh, you're going to South America. And I feel like all of Latin America kind of gets lumped into everyone thinking it's all the same. 
but it's very different each country to country and, and Mexico is part of North America for anyone who doesn't know their geographic uh, regions <laughs> it is not part of South America so Mexico's another country right is that what you're saying I, it's another country Peru for example no it's quite far away from Peru now, I think of Peru as being very high altitude was there an effect in Chile did you feel actually I was in Chile so I kind of know but how did the altitude affect you was there less gravity depends on where you are as well if you go to Machu Picchu which is at 14,000 foot elevation then it's high altitude if you're at Lima where it's ocean then you're at zero elevation. <laughs> I think I was in the Lima airport, so I didn't really get to see anything except for the Lima airport. Yeah, so that's actually zero elevation because it's ocean level. So <laughs> it just depends on where you're at. Yeah, when I got to Cusco, it was definitely a high elevation. Yeah, when I was in Lima, I thought I wasn't feeling the altitude because I'm the machine. I thought, well, of course. <laughs> but I guess you're right. I, I'm in Peru or Chile, but I didn't realize <laughs> that I'm actually just at sea level. So and I just got off a cruise, so I should have realized that I'm at sea level. I'm at sea level. It's not all high altitude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, just in general, I think there, there's a lot of this stereotype type thing of, or generalization of Latin America. But what I was getting at is like in uh, Argentina, I've not been there, but from what I've heard, there is a very large circus history, oh. a circus culture. There's long family lines of circus performers in Argentina and in Chile as well. They have lots of cabarets, lots of theater, very, very much more European type influence, like lots of clowning, lots of physical theater, things like that. So that's kind of what the jugglers in, in Argentina are known for is their theatricality and their presentation. Whereas, like I said, Chile is the machines and, and Brazil also is very clown based and theatrical. Yeah, so it's pretty, been pretty cool to get to know all these different countries and kind of what their, what their cultures are and what their juggling scene is like. And what festivals do you have coming up? Is the is there more regional ones or is, is, is it all sort of gearing towards the IJ this year? What's the, the sort of agenda coming up festival-wise for you? So the great thing about the IRCs right now, where they're at, they have started getting a lot more attention, a lot more publicity. People are pretty excited about them. This one in Peru was really stellar. The skill level was just great. And same with Mexico, they've progressed a lot. So now there's, if you've heard of Unamed, is one of the IJ's anonymous donors. Yes, I've heard of him. I have not had any personal contact. He hasn't reached out to me. Right. I actually call it a her because Iwi, the other anonymous donor, is a he. It's what we refer to as a he. And so I started calling Unamed a she because why not? I see. But you have no idea the, the sex of the, of the donor. It could be a she or it could be a he. Or... People all the time, they're like, Aaron, you've been on the board. You were like the chairwoman. Like you have to know who these people are. And I don't. And I'm very glad I don't because I'm not the best with secrets. Um... <laughs> could it be Dan Holzman, the machine? Oh, oh. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to, I don't want to get a big head. That's why I'm anonymous. Don't want to give yourself away or anything. Exactly. But, that. you know, IJ, I am the man. So if you're, <laughs> maybe you treat me a little bit better. I tell you, I tell you. But so, yeah, so Unamed uh, reached out to me, I think, after two festivals ago. Like a phone call? Was there like a voice altering? Email. Oh, Aaron. Unamed. How do they reach out to you anonymously? It's that, Dan, I do. No, it's all been through email contact at this point. But if I ever got a, a sketchy voice coming through my voicemail, that would be pretty cool. Now, of course, with these donors, this year in El Paso, the top prize for both the teams and the individuals, if I'm not wrong, $10,000. $10,000, that is correct. Or as Dr. Evil would say, one million dollars. <laughs> One million dollars. But still, 10,000. I mean, what was it before? Just a couple of thousand. 1,000. 1,000. And it's been 1,000 for years. Yes. As far back as I can, I think my 2003, it was 1,000. And it never went up because it's just not within the budget. Every year there's the budget. And who do you think we're going to attract with that 10,000? Is Gatto coming out of retirement, <laughs> do you think? Or? There was that rumor started on Facebook. I saw that I... rumor myself. I thought that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might think this is a kind of an easy payday. Of course, he's been... Uh, doing his concrete business for quite a while and <laughs> yeah yeah no I, you know i think um i think we're gonna see some great names i've started hearing little rumors but i'm not going to spill any names but uh -oh. i think there's a lot of great great people thinking about competing right now and it's pretty exciting and uh it should be it should be fun to just see who comes out i think it's funny too because i'm actually helping to get the shows organized for the ija and some people i've contacted are like well actually i'm planning to compete and i'm like oh wow okay so maybe the competitions will even be better than the cascade of stars this nice year. i hear there's a special host for the welcome show oh i tell you yes we've just confirmed him all the way from san francisco california <laughs> the machine himself the machine himself mr dan holzman yeah you know, i'm available for other workshops and if if i actually uh, if the person who's doing the the cascade of stars gets injured Oh, there you go. There you go. And maybe maybe you can do a cool like extra podcast of interviews or something at the festival. Yeah, I actually have the Zoom. I can take my portable 
Ah. Order and that would be great. I'll definitely do that. I love doing the ones out in the field and yeah, in the moment. You know, maybe interview the winner of the ten thousand dollars. That could be cool. Well, but then I interview <laughs> myself, and that wouldn't be very. Oh right, right. Oh, oh. Does that mean you're you're entering too, Dan? No. To be honest, Aaron, there was a moment <laughs> where, like I said, I don't. I thought, well, maybe I could get, I could maybe qualify or get close, but. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've never been a technical juggler. I'm a, right. a, a comedy right. juggler. Yes, yes. And luckily, I mean, now the IJ really, so I was talking to somebody in Israel, and this will get back to the IRCs in a second, but the, I was talking to somebody in Israel about the competitions, and they said, oh, I hear it's 60-40, 60 technical, 40 mm -hmm. artistic. I'd say it's more around 50-50 now, where the, the comedy aspect could be that theatrical side of things and the stage presence side of things. And, and I like that model a lot better uh, for, my, for my own personal juggling, because it's, and, and for juggling in general, I think that's just more the, the history is the technical level pushing, always pushing, but also embracing that artistic side and, and that creativity side. And I think both of those are so so important in juggling that I'm glad that that's kind of where the ruling ruling structure is right now for the IGA. But going back to the IRCs for a second. So yeah, so this coming year, this anonymous donor had agreed to give me a certain amount of money if I was able to raise another amount of money, which I did by talking to three very generous donors at the IGA Festival this last year. And so now we're going to be hosting four or five IRCs in the upcoming year. Wow. We've had eight in what, four years, and now we're going to have five in one year. So that's it's going to be a lot of work, but it's also going to be quite exciting. The first one confirmed for 2016 was Israel, actually, which will be the first time it's been outside of Latin America. And will that be part of the Israeli festival? The Israeli Juggling Convention, yeah, yeah, which is quite exciting. I mean, that's a huge festival. I've talked to various people there who are quite excited about it. And I think it's just great for the IJ to be having a larger reach and having a larger international kind of impact and supporting the, the different scenes happening around the world. So it's exciting. And do you plan to travel to Israel to be a part of that? Yeah, I'll be the IJ representative going and organizing the competition. I'll be performing there and teaching workshops and such as well. Well, don't forget to swim in the lake and have the little fish nibble Ooh. on your toes. Oh, oh, that sounds... The best thing is go into the waterfall, Just... have the waterfall hit your back while the little fish nibble on your toes. <laughs> I don't know about the juggling, but the little fish nibbling on your toes is, is quite a Those treat. Those are the memories that count, right? Yes. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts. Was, it, is, it is quite hot. It doesn't sound like it could be much worse than that. I think it's at sea level, too, but I don't know. Okay, so it's not high altitude. I don't know. As you can tell, I'm not very good in my, in my geography. It might be. <laughs> and, then, and then the others for this coming year will be Mexico, Costa Rica, Chile, hopefully. And then I'm talking to both Japan and thinking about talking to Germany or someplace in Europe as another option. Well, if you ever need any more judges... Uh -huh. Don't forget about Dan because, well, because I, as I sort of slow down in my performing, I would love to look for other opportunities to, that's one thing that's sort of not been depressing about juggling is that there's not that many opportunities after you got out of performing for coaching or judging right. or other areas outside of the, the basics, do the, do the act kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know that you have started doing this coaching, comedy coaching business, which I have had friends take that just rave about it. And so I know you're doing some of that, but I think that's something that's very valuable. But if I could add some judging to it as well. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> These podcasts become kind of Dan centric sometimes. Like, what's in it for me? <laughs> I want to be a judge. I want to go to Ch Chile or Japan or. Yeah, and I and, and right now there's the goal of these is to have the judges be locally based who know the culture and are part of the scene. And there's, I, I mean, they don't have money to fly in judges. We have a contest here in Pinole, California, in my hometown. You better count me in. Cause okay. We have a strong juggling scene here in Pinole. I tell you, it sounds like a big one. I've heard, I've heard some legends come out of there. Yes, I am the only yes. person, but I'm the greatest juggler in Pinole. That's my. The machine came. I'm from neighborhood Pinole. famous. I'm not world famous. I'm. <laughs> Now, you can't give us these special guests, but can you give us any kind of tidbits about this El Paso Festival? Because since I'm going to be going there, maybe what can I expect? Yeah, I mean, the, the festival's coming together super, super well. The, I think you can expect the competitions to be quite oh, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be pretty awesome. I'm, and hopefully I can at least judge there at the IGA. Oh, cool. Yeah. Or my hat in the ring there, at least. Your name in. Let's, let's get Vivica on, on that one. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking to lots of great performers. Um, we've got a few starting to confirm. One of the cool things, with again, with the IRCs is, is there have been eight winners now, but I think we've had one of them come to the IJA a couple years ago, and that was great. Everybody loved him. It was great. Um, but this year, we're actually going to be bringing in a lot of these competitors from the IRCs to have this kind of Latin. It's right on the border of Mexico. And will they compete in our in the IGA as well? They'll be performing. So in well, the Welcome Show, we have some in the Cascade of Stars. Jorge Vilchis uh, is a big name right now in the, in the online juggling scene, and he'll be 
coming and performing and he competed in two of the IJ regional competitions and does a lot of work for the IJ right now as well. Yeah, Fernanda Sumano, Bruno, it's, it's a lot of names that people don't know in the English speaking world, but that's kind of one of the goals of this IJ and, and of the IJ right now is to kind of bridge that gap where it's like, okay, those people who are, they're super popular in Mexico and Costa Rica and these places will. Well, the IJ yeah. put up some videos when these people are confirmed so they can go to like the IJ page at juggle.org and see some of these performers who are coming. Yeah, there at least be, we'll have the, the Facebook event page as well and okay. also juggle.org to go kind of, there'll be ongoing updates as to who will be confirmed performers. But we also have lots lots of other folks that we're talking about. It, sh it should be a super fun show lineup. We have also the Kamikaze Fireflies, which is a, a duo. They are... I've worked with the Kamikazes. They're actually, I've actually coached the Kamikaze Fireflies. Oh, great. A bit, and yes. They're a very funny duo. They're fantastic. So love, love the Kamikazes. It'd be great to hang out with them. So yeah. So they'll Fantastic. be seeing as well. We have all MCs confirmed. And what, what, what show are they MCing? They're the. <laughs> they're doing the Cascade of Stars. Oh, I see. Okay, then I'll, that's okay then. I'll, I'll take the welcome <laughs> show if they're taking the Cascade of Stars. And actually, it's Casey's birthday on the day that they're hosting the Cascade yeah, of Stars. It's Rob Williams and Casey Martin. Yes, and Casey will. It will be her birthday, and so that'll be a special Cascade of Stars for her. I think she's turning twenty-one or twenty-two. Maybe. I know she's a young in that one. Yeah. <laughs> she's not young in that one okay so you have me you have the kamikaze fireflies is there another mc that's been confirmed becca hammond will be will be emceeing the juniors competition and we have scotty melter and katrina who i talked about earlier sure they're actually emceeing the seniors and teens competition also known as comedy industries comedy industries yes that is the name of their duo so they will they will be there as well so it should be a fun fun lineup of MCs. and that's this is great because i've worked on a couple ijs and often the MCs are the last ones booked so it's kind of nice to have that taken care of and knowing that they're all very strong MCs, it, it should be great hostings for the for the festival are they going to have that uh, obstacle course again that was the last time i went is they had a big obstacle course and... that is in the works i do believe <laughs> a donation by either unamed or I believe Unamed is going towards the obstacle course, <laughs> reviving the obstacle course. And I hear there's brunch. Ah, uh, yes, free brunch from Kiwi nice. for everyone. So that's one free meal a day, which really brunch is two meals, lunch and breakfast. So, sure. so it seems like that pretty much covers two meals of your day every day, which is and great. Brunch is a good meal. I mean, if you look at brunch, you think of waffles and eggs and mm, brunch mm, is good. Yes, yes. So we have the MCs and we have brunch. We have MCs, we have brunch. How could yeah. you miss it? And of course, the competitions, which are going to be epic. I'm really, I'm really excited about that and see who's going to, what professionals or who's going to go like, oh, 10,000, I'll dip my toe in there. And, and I think it'll be interesting whether they're professionals or whether they're folks who have competed in the past and are just interested in doing it again or all new folks. I've gotten emails from folks in Germany. I think we'll definitely see a good hand of, of Japanese coming in again, because that always happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but lots of folks internationally talking about competing as well, which is fun. And that's, I think, what opens the doors. Because if you think about the IJ Festival, and it costs sometimes more than, it, than what you might win if you win the competition. So I think that really opens the doors for the international competitors is, oh, I'll actually make a good income <laughs> if I win. I can pay all my expenses and actually walk away. Yeah, exactly. Walk away with a good amount of money. So that's really great. And is there any kind of prize money for the regional competitions? Yeah, there's generally it's been around three to five hundred dollars for first place, so it's definitely not near ten thousand dollars. But maybe someday, as it as it kind of grows, there might become a, a whole series or you know a whole circuit. Yes, and so and the the idea right now, there's a couple of different ways that the IJ regional competitions could go. One is where they just kind of become their own entity and we get like booking agents and people like that and the prize money goes up and but we get booking agents to contract the winners and things like that and kind of uh or or hey the winner of chile gets to go fly and compete or go and perform at the festival that's hosting the one in japan it helps your career it kind of gives you some some promotion nice gives you that kind of lift into your career and then the other idea is that it builds into a world championship where there would be a regional competition every year and then the winners would all come together and compete in the official world championship which is what various competitions have been called in the past but like you said it depends on who shows up or who can afford to go or whatever it is so it'd be neat to have where the winner of each of these different regions would come together and then compete in that actual world championship exciting exciting uh, ideas a worldwide juggling championship culminating yeah in the world championship at the ija festival yes either at the ija festival or even where the world championship then like if you look at the model of ice skating sure it becomes its own thing different region every year i got and you so that way different regions would have that opportunity to see this greatness every year too so yeah who knows though it's lots of opportunities right now one thing i'm looking at is sponsorships and like approaching some places like gopro or mountain dew <laughs> Sure, something that the lifestyle would make sense to kind of fit in with the, the juggling scene. Definitely, and I think that's what is going to be required in order to really 
pushed this program, which is, I just have the feeling it could be really great, like looking at how, how well it's been received so far in Latin America, it really excites me for the future of it. But getting some good funding and a good company behind it would be that extra kick to get it to where it could be. Well, I think you're doing a great job. I think it's very exciting to sort of, like you say, that there's been so long where people were saying, oh, the IJ is not really international. Right. And here we are really trying to make an effort to mm-hmm. become the international organization we always should have been all along. Right. And I think certain things have made that possible. Number one, the internet. Like, I don't think any of this would have been possible without Facebook or a way to contact somebody in Chile and communicate with them on a daily basis to organize this event. Snail mail just wouldn't have cut it. (laughs) Um, So it just happens to be that our era, this exists, and that's what made it possible for me to find that first contact in Chile and that first contact in Brazil and now Israel, you know, and have that organizing power. But also the juggling community as a whole is just becoming very strong because of the internet. You look at the IJ Facebook page, for example, and like I said, there's 22,000 followers now. That's more than the IJ's ever had members (laughs) by quite a lot. But so that means it's reaching the IJ has potential to reach and impact people at a much higher level than it ever has before. And not only jugglers, but also the greater the greater community and greater normal people. Sure, the the, the muggles. We, I don't, the muggles. I don't actually use that as sort of what the hogs words today. Exactly. Well, we're jugglers and they're mugglers. Yeah, the mugglers. The mugglers, we'll call them that. That's a terrible uh, That would be. <laughs> oh, you're <yeah>. a muggler. <laughs> Um, But yeah, so it's really um, exciting to see. I I don't know that you're on Instagram, but the Instagram juggling community is really uh, taking off right now. And and we started an IJ Instagram page um, right before the festival. And it has just started exploding. And it's a cool way to be able to highlight little videos or photos of all these jugglers from around the world and kind of connect on on that, that platform as well. So I have not done the Instagram thing. That's like the 15 second videos. You can do, yeah, I mean, that's the max you can do. For that's video. the max. And you can do photos, very visually based. And that's on that darn computer, right? No, it's on your cell phone. What's on my cell phone? Can't even do it on a computer. Oh, shows you how, uh, <laughs> what's that cell phone, Aaron? I know, or an iPad. You can do it on any mobile device. Oh, okay. You know, I'm old school. I, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that's, it's funny because I, when, when I was on the board and, and the IJ Facebook page was really starting to take off and stuff, some of the old, more old-timer folks that are officers and come to the board meetings and such would be like, oh, the IJ's not being seen much or not having much impact. And I'm like, have you have you looked at the Facebook page lately? I'm, I'm just saying you might want to look at the Facebook page. <laughs> no, but I don't see it on MySpace anymore. And... I know, right? <laughs> Or they didn't even have MySpace. But so then, you know, a couple of them joined Facebook and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, it's doing really good. And I'm like, hey, thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you, you saw that. <laughs> so, so it's exciting. And also things like World Juggling Day. Sure. Has really taken off. Like, I think this last, I've organized it the last three years. And this last year, there were about 10,000 celebrants in 60 different countries, which is great. I mean, that's hugely international. <laughs> we had one in Penol. Hey, were there three of you? No, just me. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Me and my you two know. dachshunds, Francis and Lottie. So I have the two dachshunds. I hope they balance something on their head. No, they just stared at me, not really very impressed by my two balls and a plunger routine I'm working on. <laughs> so Aaron, we've kind, of, we've kind of reached the end of our time, and we try to keep them about an hour. It's, it's yeah. Zoomed by. It sure has, yeah. But uh, any final thoughts or, or words or encouragement or shout-outs you want to give before we wrap up Drop Everything podcast number 24? Uh, nothing in particular. I guess one thought just in regards to the IJ since we've been talking about it. There's this this thing that people always said to me when I first got on the board and people would always say they should do this and they should do that and they should do that when regarding the IJ. And as I became the chairwoman and a board member, I was like, who is this they that everyone's talking about? Who is this, this eternal they that everyone refers to as should be doing all these things? And so I kind of came up with this phrase of there is no they in the IJ, there's only we. And we get to create what we want it to be. And we get to create, and not only for the IJ, but for the juggling community in, as a whole. I think that's a cool, a cool model to think about. Like, it's a bigger community, and, and everyone gets to be a part of it if they want to be in. And that's pretty awesome. That's great. There is no they. There's only we. Yeah. I like that. And this whole community of jugglers. Yeah, if you want something to change. Like, I'm thinking for a while there is, like, the IJ seemed like this sort of, not evil entity, but it was like, a, like they, like, like they're going to destroy this or, Right. And you look at, yeah. And once I, once I got on the board and realized who these, they were and that they're just jugglers trying the best they can with what they've got and working hard and many, many hours without pay. It's like, there is no, they there there's, if you want to see something change or if you want 
a program to happen or if you have a vision, like then make it happen and work with a team and find, find that support network. And that's what I found so amazing is like, as soon as I come up with these ideas, all of a sudden all these people are like, oh yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's figure out how to make this happen. So it's great. All right. So go make it happen. Those listeners out there, if you want to <laughs> see something at the IJ, if you want to see something that contributes to the world of juggling, like a podcast, like a podcast. Thank you, Dan Holman. <laughs> go out there and make it happen. Hey, yeah. That's right. I'll, I'll show up the IJ. Hey, there's the machine. <laughs> I don't think that's going to catch on. Oh, it already has for me. Oh, good, good. So when you think of me, you'll think of me as the machine. That's it. That's it. Well, I want to thank you for taking some time to come on the podcast. Look forward to seeing you in El Paso. Yes, and all music. the best with your real job in the meantime. And of course, I hope there's lots of opportunities for you to travel, judge, and keep doing the great work you're doing in the world of juggling. Thank you very much, Aaron Stevens. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed podcast number 24 of the Drop Everything Podcast with me, your host, Dan Holzman. We have a lot of great podcasts coming this year, but before we get to that, let's thank our sponsors one more time. The IJA, that's the International Jugglers Association. Information about this great group of jugglers can be found at juggle.org. Make sure to find out information about this year's festival that will take place in July in El Paso, Texas. Our new sponsor, Renegade Juggling. You need juggling props? Then go to renegadejuggling.com for the best. Renegade Juggling, all the way from Santa Cruz, California, all the way in my heart to the Renegades, I say thank you. And let's thank me by plugging my own personal website, which is braindrizzles.com. Need career coaching? Looking for a mentor? You just want to chat? Well, give me a call at braindrizzles.com. Set up your free consultation. Let's see if I can take your juggling to new heights. Well, until next time, drop everything except when you're juggling.